I am really loud. <laughs> I am perpetually amazed at the way God weaves things together. Because that's just what he's like. We're going to do our last of the promises of the Holy Spirit in our life this morning. We've been talking about the different things that the Holy Spirit does for us, how he guides, how he comforts, how he indwells us, how he leads us. Those are all good things. This morning I have, I've really come to the last one of the ones that I want to do on the promises that we gain through the Holy Spirit. I don't think I've really covered them all by any means. In fact, as I was studying last night, I realized there were some that I, I definitely had left out, didn't plan that way, just did. And uh, maybe I'll go back and get those at some point, I don't know. But this morning I want to talk about the subject of sending and calling, which is really an interesting one to kind of end on. You know, as Jamie came up this morning, the first time she's ever done a communion meditation. But you know what? When God calls you and, and he says, yeah, you can do this, he gives us the resources to do it. And Jamie, I'm hardly ever moved like that in a communion meditation. I've heard so many, you know, and it, sometimes I feel like I get numb kind of thing. But that was hard to sing that song after you did that. And, and what you said was very simple. But it was truth. And I thank you for that. Thank you for listening to the Holy Spirit and doing that. There's a legend that recounts, and it's not... It's nothing biblical, by the way. This is just a legend, which recounts the return of Jesus to glory after his time on earth. And even in heaven, he still bore the marks of his earthly pilgrimage with the cruel cross, the shameful death. And the angel Gabriel and him engage in a conversation, and Gabriel says, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. I did, he said. And continued Gabriel, do they know all about how you love them? See how that ties into what you were saying? Do you know, do they know how you love them and what you did for them? Oh no, Jesus said, not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know. Gabriel was perplexed. Then what have you done, he asked, to let everyone know about your love for them? Jesus said, well, I've asked Peter and James and John and a few more friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told will in turn tell other people about me, and my story will be spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all mankind will have heard about my life and what I have done. Gabriel frowned, and he looked rather skeptical. He knew well what poor stuff men are made of. Yes, he said, but what if Peter and James and John grow weary, Master? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down through the centuries, people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made any other plans? And Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. 21 centuries later, he still has no other plan, folks. He's counting on you and me for his work of reconciling the world to move forward. I want to talk about some of that this morning as we talk about the aspect of the Holy Spirit as he both sends and calls. This promise is different than so many other promises. Most of our promises about the Holy Spirit are things that the Holy Spirit does for us. We really don't have that much involved in those things. It's like the Holy Spirit is just gifting these things to us. This one this morning is really kind of different. This one 
is actually a promise that requires partnership with the Holy Spirit. I have two passages of Scripture for us this morning. The first is in the book of Acts, and the second is from the book of Revelation. Now, I plan on spending some time in the book of Revelation pretty soon here, talking about the promise of what is to come as we go through the promises of the Bible. I'm not going to get into that too much this morning, but we are going to look at the very last part of the book of Revelation. But before we go there, let's stop, let's pray, and let's ask God to do what we talked about this morning, to speak to us so that we would hear, so that we would receive, so that we would learn, and that that learning would change our doing. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you love us the way that you do. Jesus, that you gave yourself up for us the way that you did, and that you really are counting on us. This is your plan. We're, we're plan A, and there isn't a plan B to tell the rest of the world what Jamie told us this morning, that you love them. Imprint that on our hearts, Holy Spirit, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 13, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, is about the early church. It says, the church at Antioch, where the prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manadin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and John was with them as their helper. Now, this passage from Acts speaks of two men, primarily Barnabas and Saul. Of course, Saul would later be renamed Paul. They were set apart by the church in response to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Listen again. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Do you see the partnership in the last part of that? After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. That's partnership. But it's partnership on a whole lot of levels here. On the first level is that they listened. They were engaged with the Holy Spirit and they were listening to what the Holy Spirit was asking them to do because when the Holy Spirit said, set apart these two men to the work which I have called them, the church didn't question that. The church heard that, understood what the Holy Spirit was asking and did what they said. Then they fasted. Then they prayed. And then they did this laying on of hands thing. And then they sent them out. Let me ask you a question. Has anyone sensed, heard, or otherwise been prompted by the Holy Spirit to talk to somebody about Jesus this week? In essence, God sent you, the Holy Spirit sent you on that mission to do that work. It's really not any different than what Barnabas and Saul were sent to do. Notice when they got to Seleucia, what they did was they went into the synagogue, a Jewish place of worship. And what did they do? They proclaimed Yeshua, Jesus, to them. They just shared the love of God. Here's, here's how God loves you. 
And they began with the people that understood the most about God so that those people could join them in telling other people. Anybody want to give a testimony as to how God led you this last week to talk to somebody about Jesus? We're not quite used to this interactive thing, are we? You're going to have to get used to it because, you know, I'm kind of intent on this. I don't want this to be a lecture. You know, I want us to engage one another on Sunday morning. And so, you know, if God has done something in your life this week, even if it wasn't, you know, I'll give you a clue. I learned something from God this week. I learned that there are no excuses in the kingdom of God. There's only confession, repentance. Repentance meaning that I turn around and I go a different direction. There are no excuses in the kingdom of God. God doesn't need your excuses, and he's really not interested in them. What God is interested in is your confession and your repentance. And by repentance, I don't mean sackcloth and ashes. That's Old Testament theology. Repentance, the way Jesus described it to us, is that we would turn and go the other direction. It would change who we are. Just like our our declaration, when we hear, we receive. And what we receive, we learn from, and it changes who we are. I made some things this week all about me. And then when I got called on the carpet for it, I wanted to make excuses. And you know what? I got called up short by the Holy Spirit and reminded, I don't get excuses. What I get is confession and repentance and forgiveness. That's what the kingdom of God is like. We move forward. I, you know, I had a, a man in my life a long time ago, and I, and I really, I probably didn't appreciate him as much as I should have, but he taught me a really simple lesson about that. It's called repenting on the run. You don't stop. You don't fall apart. You don't do sackcloth and ashes until you've done some kind of penance. You repent on the run. You say you're sorry. You change your direction, but you keep moving Why? Because we have a place to go. We are being sent by the Holy Spirit every day, folks. You all are being sent by the Holy Spirit every day out into the world, into the workplace to testify of one thing, what Jamie talked about this morning. God loves you. And he loves you with a passion that knows no end, that knows no limit, that knows no height and no depth. He just loves you. Everyone, everyone is going to feel that prompting of the Holy Spirit from time to time. What you do with it, what you do with it really depends on what you believe when you hear it. Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is calling you? You see, if you do believe that the Holy Spirit has sent you to a person, you won't be able to shut up. You won't be able to keep it to yourself. But if you think, oh, well, that's just me. You know, it's just, you know I'm, I'm just thinking that kind of thing. And you don't actually hear that it really is God who's saying that, you'll brush it aside. You'll find it an excuse. How many times have you made an excuse when God did that? Oh, I've done it. Okay. I love sharing the gospel. I really do. I love leading people to, to faith in Christ. I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times, and I love doing it. But I am not perfect at all in it. I can still override the Holy Spirit's prompting in my life 
and do my own thing. Why? Because I like to make it about me sometimes, you know? That's just not convenient. That's scary, okay? And at that moment in time, I'm not obedient. And what do I need to do? Repent and keep moving. Repent and keep moving. This church did something that we need to do as a people. They listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. This passage describes what happened, but it also lays out a beautiful template for partnering with the Holy Spirit. The church had open ears to what the Holy Spirit was saying. I find listening, really listening, is a really rare art form these days. We're all on the move so fast, we don't really listen very well. In his devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest, Oswald Chambers writes, get into the habit of saying, Lord, speak, and life will become a romance. I like that. Speak, Lord, and life will become a romance. Every time circumstances press in on you, say, speak, Lord, and make time to listen. Chastening is more than a means of discipline. It is meant to bring me to the point of saying, speak, Lord. Think back to a time when God spoke to you. Do you remember what he said? As we listen, our ears become more sensitive, and like Jesus, we will hear God all the time. Those are wise words. This is perhaps an even shorter but just as effective declaration for every day. If you don't want to do the one that I wrote, okay, just do this one. Do what Oswald does. When you get up in the morning, speak, Lord, and make some time to listen. When you jump in your car to go to work, wherever, the grocery store, speak, Lord, and make time to listen. When you're fixing dinner and there's nothing else going on but dinner, speak, Lord, and listen. Of course, God is speaking. That is not the problem. Our communication with God is really about hearing, not about speaking. Maybe this would help if you're having a hard time hearing. You know, I hear that from people every once in a while. I just don't hear God. I don't hear him. Well, in our passage, the church was actively engaged with God when it heard from God. And I think that's kind of important. You know, if you're going to hear from God, it's better to be actively engaged in God. What were they doing? They were worshiping. They were fasting. If you're having a hard time hearing, try one or both of these things. Worship will get you into his presence where hearing is easier, folks. It just is. It's not unlike our relationships with one another. You'll have a lot easier time hearing me if I'm in the same room with you. And worship does that. It takes us into his presence. And fasting, fasting. Folks, fasting isn't near as much about food as it is about focus. Fasting is going without food, yes. But without focus on God, fasting is nothing more than a diet plan. Our partnership with the Holy Spirit in sending begins with listening, then with fasting, and it's all about hearing God. When the church prayed after that, they laid hands on Barnabas and Saul. This is really the commissioning part of sending, and, and, and I love that because, you know, the church is supposed to commission people to go out into the world, but we are, as a church, commissioned of God. The Holy Spirit has already laid hands on you. Some of you are still struggling with that, okay? But he's already laid hands on you, which means you are commissioned. Does the Bible not say that we are ambassadors? It does. 
You don't believe me? Check it out. Romans. You have been commissioned. Even though commissioning can be somewhat of a formal thing, it is also something that the Holy Spirit has done for each and every one of us. Commissioning in a formal sense is where the body of Christ comes alongside someone and partners with them in the Holy Spirit by affirming the call of God on that person's life. It sounds so formal, and sometimes it is, but it doesn't always have to be. Part of the essence of prophecy, folks, is that we are always coming alongside one another to support and encourage one another to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? So every time you prophesy over someone, okay, and what I mean by prophesy over someone is when you're speaking forth the Word of God into their life, whatever God has laid on your heart to share with them, okay, to encourage them, comfort them, and to edify them, okay, that's prophecy, okay, so you're speaking that into, your, into their life. You are literally doing what the Holy Spirit does when the church lays hands on somebody. You're encouraging them into their destiny in Christ, That's what they were doing for Barnabas and Saul in this passage in Acts. They were encouraging them, supporting them, coming alongside them in the call of God on their life. That's what I think one of the beauties of prophecy in the church is that's what it's for, to pull out the gold in someone's life and help them realize their destiny in Christ. Because each and every one of you has one. Every one of you has a destiny in Christ, and it is an amazing, brilliant thing. And the Holy Spirit wants to see that take off and to give you wings in that. Let me give you a few examples of what it's like to commission, okay? A while back as a body in Christ, we recognized the gifting and calling of Elise Miller to the children's ministry of our church. And so we, we held this formal commissioning and licensing service for Elise right up here in front. We weren't sending her to Africa, but we were sending her someplace close, out into the hall with our children. You know, it was kind of a formal thing, you know, and, and, and it should have been at that point. A few weeks ago, though, Joe came forward after the service and he asked me to pray for him as he starts a new business venture. And you know what? It's a business venture that he's expecting to see God use to help support one of our ministries here. He just has a passion to support that ministry. So he got involved in this business thing just to see what God would do in raising up funds to support ministry. What I did was I recognized the call of God on Joe's life to that field of business for the sake of the gospel. That's commissioning. That is sending. That is doing what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do. Not all sending is about vocational ministry. It's not about just, you know, licensing somebody into the children's ministry as the children's pastor of the church. Very few people are called to be pastors in the church, but we are all called to be ministers of the gospel of Christ. And most of the time, those ministries will take place in some other field of industry than the church. As the body of Christ, we need to be open to sending people into every area of life as ambassadors. Did you know that Bethel Church in Reading has a school of supernatural ministry? Everybody knew that? I've talked about it enough. We kind of know that, right? They have a school of supernatural ministry where they prepare people for the ministry that God has called them to. But did you also know that they also have a school of supernatural business? Yeah. Why? Why would you have that? I mean, business, that's secular, right? No, it's not. 
It's not at all. If you're involved in it and God asks you to do all things as unto the Lord, then it is a sacred endeavor. So if you're a business person here this morning, then you are called of God into a sacred endeavor, doing all things as unto the Lord. It doesn't matter what you do. You know, I prayed for Johnny's construction business. I pray for Johnny's construction business all the time because I want to see him succeed because I know his heart, and his heart is to honor God in that. I pray for Ray and Sarah's storage place. I want them to succeed, and they are. They are succeeding in ministry in that place because Sarah prays over everybody that comes through the door. It's, it's a great place. I'm praying for Juan's new handyman business and praying. I was hoping Juan would be here this morning because I wanted to pray over him because he's laid up right now with his leg. I pray for Larry's tile business that he would just have an abundant amount of work because his heart is to honor God. I pray for Carmen's landscape business. I've watched Carmen change over the last couple of years and, and he just loves the Lord and he does so much for the church and the school. And I, I pray for Josh's career at Lockheed and, and, and Craig's career out at the base for Bob's work with the county. Why? Because, you know, I'm with these men at least once a week on Wednesdays, and, and I love meeting with them, and I realize that their ministry field is out there, and they need to be prepared, and they need somebody alongside them who is encouraging and sending and wanting them to succeed in the ministry that God has called them to. When I do that, I know that I am sending them via the Holy Spirit, into the business world as missionaries for Jesus. You know, before the school year starts here, we'll be bringing Liz, the director of our preschool, in to pray over her and to pray over the school along with Elise and Brandy because we're sending them to minister to families and especially little children in the name of Jesus. And we want to make sure that we're commissioning them and sending them and laying on hands because we're standing with them, supporting them. The point is this. We as a people are partnering with the Holy Spirit in sending out people into this world for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. The other partnering that we do is in the calling of the Holy Spirit. That's why this, this message is like two-part message here. Sending, which is what the Holy Spirit does when he pushes us out the door into the world, and calling is what the Holy Spirit does when he calls us to himself when he calls us into Christ. And you know what? We get to partner in that too. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, last book of the Bible. We're down to the last few verses. John closes it out right after he says this. He says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. The apostle John has been listening to the Holy Spirit and relating some of the most amazing promises that God has for his people, promises we have yet to see, but we will see one day. They are the promises of heaven. All through chapters 21 and 22, John lays them out. They sound like this, the promise of God's presence day and night. He will be our God, we will be his people, and he will dwell with us. The promise of no more tears. There's, there's not going to be any crying. Why? There's not going to be any death. There's not going to be any mourning. 
There's not going to be any crying and there's not going to be any pain. I'll take that promise. That sounds like a good one to me. The promise of no more sin. Death is defeated. Sin is abolished. The promise of satisfaction. There'll be no more thirsting. We'll be given living water. There'll be no more hungering. We will eat of the tree of the fruit of life. The promise of a new home that he talks about. The promise of intimacy. He will be there with us. We will dwell in his light. And that is a promise all and unto itself. The promise of the light of God's glory to light our day. We won't need the sun. We won't need the moon because God will be the sun. The promise of purity. Along with no sin comes purity, folks. We won't have to struggle, but there won't be any more temptations that we fail in. The promise of abundance. That tree of life is going to be amazing. I don't know if we're supposed to be vegetarians in heaven, but you know what? The tree of life is for the healing of the nations, and that's another promise. The promise of abundant healing. The promise of no more night. In other words, no more scary stuff, okay? No more night, just the light. This is the essence of the calling in Revelation chapter 22. This is what we are being called to. But there is also a partnering in that call. The spirit and the bride say, come. We, the church, are the bride. In this verse, and we are in concert with the Holy Spirit in inviting the world to a new life, a new life in Christ. We see this invitation all through the Bible. Come, just come. From the time of Noah, come. From the time of Lot, come. The prophet Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, called the people of Israel back to God. In Isaiah 1.18, he said, Come, let us reason together. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Just come. Jesus himself gave that invitation over and over. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Let the little children come unto me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus said it over and over again, come, come, and the spirit and the bride say, come. The Holy Spirit is still calling men and women to Jesus today, come. That is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's part of the promise of the Holy Spirit, but it's also part of the partnering that we do with the Holy Spirit. We get to partner with him because it says the bride also says come. That is the voice of the church. It is the message that we bring every time, folks, that we love somebody in the name of Jesus, we're saying come. And let me be really clear about this. We're inviting people to the same thing that the Holy Spirit is inviting them to, Jesus. You get that? You know, it's great to invite people to come to church. And you know what? I'm with you. I'm, I'm down for that. Invite them to come. But the invitation that we bring to the world is not to the church. The invitation we bring to the world is to God who loves them, to Jesus who adores them and gave himself up for them, to the Holy Spirit who wants nothing more 
than for them to honor Jesus in their life and to live an abundant life before him. That is what the invitation is about. Invite them to church. Go ahead, invite them. That's great. But understand what you're really doing, you're inviting them to Jesus. So the question is this. If that's what we're doing, if that's what we're doing, we're partnering with the Holy Spirit to invite people to Jesus. What keeps us from that partnering? Well, mostly I find it's fear. At least in my case, it's fear. Fear of failure. One of the authors I, re- I read in Bible college was a man named Leighton Ford. He was part of the, the degree that, one of the degrees that I got. And Leighton Ford in his book, Good News is for Sharing, talks about this issue of fear. And I like what he had to say. He says, when I am conscious of the fear of failure holding me back, I go through this kind of personal checklist in my mind. And maybe this will help you too. He says, first, does this fear come basically from pride? A fear that I will not live up to my own expectations or to those of others? Is my pride making me fearful that I might fail? basically. Now, that's a real one for me. Fear rising out of pride. Pride that says, I have to be better than anyone else because I'm a pastor. You know what? Can't let the Holy Spirit down. I'm a pastor, you know? But at the same time, having those expectations, I will get fearful. I will get fearful that I'm going to blow it, that I won't live up to my own expectations or certainly not up to God's expectations. Now, if I share the gospel... I also expect that people will get saved, too. And so if they don't get saved, if they walk away because they, they, have, they have a different mindset, then I failed. I must have done something wrong. Listen, if I pray for somebody to heal, get healed, I expect them to get better. I expect them to get healed. And I expect it to happen now. And so my expectation doesn't always get met when it doesn't happen. And my pride makes me fearful Should I pray for the next person? Or maybe I should go get somebody else to do the praying. It has to work for me, Lord. How will it work for everybody else if it doesn't work for me? You know what? What I really need most is to get over my good self. It's not about the success that I conjure up in my own brain. God is not near as interested in my success as he is in the seeds that I sow. That makes sense? Number two, Leighton says, do I remember that God has called me first to faithfulness and then to efficiency? Yeah, I love the parable of the talents. It's proof that God is not near as interested in my efficiency as he's interested in my faithfulness. The servants in the parable had all different returns on their work, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. Maybe some of you will, will lead 30, 60, 100 or more people to Christ in your lifetime. That would be awesome, considering that the average Christian in America today doesn't ever lead someone to Christ. So that would be great. But the issue is not how many souls you lead to Christ. The issue is how many seeds you sow, how many people you tell that Jesus loves them. Because you may plant the seed and somebody else may reap the harvest. 
and that's perfectly fine with God. It's not about how successful you deem yourself. It's about faithfulness. Number three, Leighton says, do I trust the Holy Spirit is working before me, with me, and through me? It's really easy to give in to fear when we forget who we travel with. The other week, I challenged you to have this one thought in your mind all week long, that you take God with you everywhere you go all day long, 24-7. Just think that way. And I promised you, if you would think that way, you would have a different week than you had the week before. The question is, did it change your week? You know what? It's really hard for me to give in to fear when I know the Holy Spirit is right there with me. It's really hard for me to feel like a failure when God is standing there right with me because he's the most encouraging person I know. The kindness of the Lord is forever. Number four, Leighton says, do, you, do I remember that I am called to be neither more nor less successful than Jesus was? Well, that's an interesting one. I believe that the most successful thing that Jesus did on this earth was to walk in constant intimacy with the Father. I think that was the most successful thing that he ever did. Yes, he performed miracles. He could have never done those without that intimacy. Yes, he went to the cross for us. He could have never done that without that intimacy. The most successful thing that Jesus ever did was to walk in constant intimacy with God the Father. I am not called to be more intimate, nor am I called to be less intimate with Father God. I am called to be just like Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Every powerful thing that Jesus ever did flowed out of his intimacy with the Father. That's what makes our declaration, the one we did last week, I declare that I'm made in the image of Jesus, therefore I can live as he did, joyful, peaceful, and powerful. That's what makes it so important because we are made in his image. And we are supposed to be just successful as he is and that has everything to do with intimacy. The fifth thing that Leighton says, he says, do I remember that God does his greatest work when I am the weakest? Isn't that, after all, the mystery of the gospel? Folks, you don't have to fear your weaknesses because those are his strengths. Listen, no matter what you may have told yourself, or anybody else has told you ever, you are not a liability to the kingdom of God. Whatever you think your weaknesses may be, or how many weaknesses you think you may have, doesn't matter. Any weakness given to God becomes strength in his hands. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians 12. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassingly great revelations. They have to understand what Paul is talking about. He's gotten downloads from God that wrote most of our New Testament, okay? 
So he said, to keep me from being conceited, getting a big head over how much God has downloaded to me, okay, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, if you go back to the Old Testament, you find out that the thorn of the flesh is not a disease. It's a person, okay? A thorn in the flesh is a person who hackles you, who, who uh, comes against you, who torments you. So he's probably talking about the people who persecuted him. A message, messenger of Satan to torment me three times. I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. One of the paradoxes of Scripture, when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because it's not about me, okay? I need to get over my good self. It's not about me. It's about who walks with me, who partners with me. doesn't really matter what you think your weaknesses are. In God's hands, it's strength. The story is told of a missionary to China who was in language school. The very first day of the class, the teacher entered the room, and without saying a word, she walked down every row, passing by every student. And finally, still without saying a word, she walked around the room yet again. And when she came back, she addressed the class. She said, did you notice anything special about me this morning? Nobody could think of anything in particular until one student finally raised her hand and said, I noticed that you had on a very lovely perfume. The class laughed. But the teacher said, that was exactly my point. You see, it will be a long time before any of you will be able to speak Chinese well enough to share the gospel with anyone in China. But even before you are able to do that, you can minister the sweet fragrance of Jesus by the quality of your life. It is your lifestyle lived out among these people that will minister Christ to them long before you're able to say one word to them about personal faith in Jesus. You know what? It's like that for us as well. Though we may not be eloquent speakers, though we may think we have weaknesses, unbelievers will encounter us when the fragrance of who we are in Christ comes in contact with their life. They will be ministered by our Christ-likeness, the way we love the way that God loved us. That really is kind of the point of partnering with the Holy Spirit in calling the world. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit says come, the bride says come. And what are we inviting them to? Eternal life. We're inviting them to living water, to a place, well, I'll talk about in the coming weeks, to a place where life is going to be different, but is foreshadowed by who we are in Christ now because we were meant to call heaven to earth now so that people see the glory of God now before they encounter him in eternity. Let me pray.
Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the way that you love us, Jesus, for the way that you demonstrated that love on the cross. And Holy Spirit, for the way you walk with us, empowering us, leading and guiding us, sending us out, but also calling us as well, that we might partner with you as ambassadors of the very best news that the world needs desperately to hear. And it's such a simple message. Jesus loves them. God loves them. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And Father, I just pray for us as a people. I just pray over us as a people that we would be so infused with, so filled up to overflowing with this knowledge of the depth of the love of Christ that we can't contain it. That when we hear you prompt us to tell somebody that God loves them, it is the first thing that leaves our mouth. We make no apologies because Father God, you love them and we're just speaking your truth. Jesus, you adore them and we're just speaking that truth. And Holy Spirit, you desire to be in their life. And we're just speaking that truth. In Jesus' name.